0: All right, it's good to see y'all. It is good to be with you. Um, We uh, have been in Coleman the past couple of days, and uh, Anna Catherine's youngest sister, my youngest sister in law, was having her wedding up there. And yesterday in Coleman, it was one of the hottest days on record. So, as we set up this outdoor wedding in July, Uh, In one of the hottest days in the summer up there, we sweated to death getting everything set up, and we got it all set up and smiled, and then the wind picked up and the clouds grew dark, and the raindrops began to fall, and so we grabbed everything that we could that we had just set up for the whole morning (laughs) and ran inside with it, and then it came one of the biggest rains I've seen all summer uh, for the next 45 minutes to an hour, and Flooded. Flooded the place. And so by God's grace, the sun came back out. And then we had that lovely Alabama humidity and steam and went out in the steam and set everything up for the second time. Towel dried what we could, and I had one of them lawn blowers and was blowing everything. And right about five minutes before the groom and the bride came down the aisle, I went down with the blower blowing everybody left and right and getting them prepared for the wedding. But we dried it out and got them married. At the end of the day, they were married, and so we rejoice and uh, got in last night and it's it's great to be with you this morning. We hated to miss uh, the beginning of the conference last night. I know it was a wonderful time in the Lord and uh, y'all heard a lot of meaty text and some solid biblical preaching and we missed that but it's good to be here and I'm thankful for the meaty word that we've already heard, the home run that Brian's already hit this morning, just breaking the bread of life. We used to uh, preaching buddies of mine used to say call it shucking the corn and he just shucked the corn this morning and so I'm glad that we all got to be a part of that and hear that corn shucked and get to feast on the bread of the word of God. And I also got have to give Brian props because I mean I'm gonna tell you, anytime you hear a Baptist sermon on repentance, typically you're gonna hear that old joke. And I know I'm really stepping out because I know y'all are a tough crowd, so how dare I even try to pull this one off yet again. A dad joke, but there was that guy that was hired to paint a church, and you know, he's out there painting the church, and he realized if he spent less money on paint that he was going to be paid more, so he started thinning the paint and thinning the paint. And he was thinning it and thinning it and going up the ladder and painting. And then one day he was up there painting away on the church and the heavens opened up and he heard a voice of the Lord that said, repaint, repaint and thin no more. And so I'm glad that you were able to preach a sermon on repentance and not do that. But I had to come behind and throw that one in because that one's going to be there most of the time on a sermon on repentance. But. uh you know, I hope I have my orders correct here too, because now, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. I think mid sermon and say, Brian, is that is this right? Because uh, you got to get the gospel right. You got to get the order right. Uh, you got to get things in the right order, or else. You're, you're, you're messed up, you're toast. And so uh, we, we have to get the gospel right and be careful about that. And I guess am I supposed to nod and say, yes, uh, we're, we're about to take off. The, the rocket's on the land, I'm ready to go. I, I appreciate Ben patting me on the back there because I was having that little spiritual pep rally in my mind, you know, <laughs> beginning to, it, it, just like a football team, I was getting ready, you know, pumped up for Jesus here and getting ready to come up here And so before I come out of my skin, I'm going to dive in, and so we're going to dive in together. And be looking this morning, we're talking about conversion. That was my assignment that I found out about yesterday. And so we're going to see what we can discuss on conversion, biblical conversion, true conversion. Now, that we've just talked about that. You can have a false conversion or a, a think you're saved and not be saved, and so how do you know you're truly saved? And so let me just go ahead and give you the title of the sermon here. It's The Chemistry of True Conversion. In biblical Christianity, if you just want to sum it up in two words, The Chemistry of True Conversion. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, go ahead and give you a spoiler, Paul wrote it. I'll mention that again. Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything." For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So yes, this is ten verses. We should be here for about ten weeks. And so uh, ho- hopefully we can get all, through all of these ten verses today. But I want you to think, go back maybe to sixth grade, science fair, elementary school, science fair, uh, or high school, or middle school, or maybe even college, and think of chemistry. Now, some of you have taken chemistry, but even if you haven't taken chemistry or had it, what comes to mind when I say that? Probably different things are popping in your head. Maybe you're thinking of elements. Maybe you're remembering the periodic table that was pinned up on the walls of the chemistry class, or formulas, right? Y'all heard about formulas? Maybe in chemistry, you got some cool chemistry sets growing up. You asked for them for Christmas. You had the little beakers and tubes and everything, and you took this and mixed it with that. Hopefully didn't blow up your parents' house or do anything that caused a fire uh, or, or made anything like that. But what... Here, here, here's what happens, and, and trust me, hey, I fought the power. I fought the urge because I wanted to have my chemistry set set up right here, and I wanted to give you all a huge visual this morning. But I thought, no, it's going to take too much time. I was factoring in the mess I would make, and then I would have to clean it up. Didn't want to do that. And so uh, I want you to envision the chemistry set, the, the, the science experiment. What happens when one element, or another element comes into contact with something else. Is what I want you to envision, and that's what I wanted to show you. Um, and so, these chemicals are compounds. Compounds coming in to contact with each other causes change. Right, Clay? You're 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 not in your head. So, chemical reactions cause change. Let me give you a quick chemistry lesson this morning. Okay, the the formula for water is H2O. If you're the water boy, it's high quality H2O. And so, you got high quality H2O, and it comes into contact with with cold, what do you get? You get ice. But you haven't changed the, the compound. You haven't changed water. You've changed its state. It's gone from a liquid to a solid. And then you take that ice or that water, that H2O, and you expose it. It comes into contact with intense heat. What do you have? steam, gas, but you still haven't changed water. It's still water just in a gaseous form. So I'm not talking about that. See, that that wasn't even the point. I just wanted to tell it because I wanted to say high quality H2O. But I want to talk, and, and I don't, I'm not going to give you the long formula because there's C3, the C3H45. There's this long formula that I could have written, uh, written out here, but I'm going to take some of y'all back. We're about to go way back uh, to the elementary school times of the days of science fair. Like I said, I want you to think of what happens when vinegar comes into contact with a mixture of bacon soda, liquid soap, and food coloring. Let me give you a huge hint, red. Food coloring. Uh, does that bring in back anything? Do y'all, do y'all remember somebody? You can't do it now. Let me just go ahead and give you a big hint. You can't do this in school anymore. They don't allow it, and I can only imagine why. Uh, do y'all know what that what causes when you do that? Somebody say it. Uh, Hannah goes, eruption. Yeah, let's just call the the final compound lava. Right? Because everybody had their paper mache volcano shaped like they like it, and they came, carried it in on a big piece of plywood like this, and plopped it up there, and they're like, hey, y'all, watch this. And then they mix the vinegar, and it's chemical reaction, right? Wow, I didn't know vinegar can do that, and I'm sorry for those of you who are going to go home and try it. Uh, and you'll have the mess, the cleanup And I'm not. Also, Google elephant toothpaste and check that. That is a neat reaction that happens when you mix, and I won't give you the recipe for that because that's a huge mess. But the point is, and you can see it, there's this thing that happened. That's a chemical reaction. We can also call it chemical conversion, right? Something changes. That's what, that's what conversion is. So we can conclude, here's, this is our hypothesis. And so this is our conclusion. After we've tested our theory, when you mix these things together, guess what? An action brings about a reaction. There is an effect and a cause that brings about the effect. So, we can deduce and we can see something coming into contact with something else causes something to happen. It is observable and let me just go ahead and say this is good science. When it is observ this is true science when is it obse- when it is observable, repeatable, and and the formula or the recipe is tried and true factual and evidence so let me just go ahead and make a shameless plug evolution's not real science cuz it's not observable repeatable testable you you can't test it in a lab and ever see it come to place and so Here's This is true science here. Observable, repeatable, the formula. And in the South, yeah, I'm just going to call it the recipe. You all have a recipe for something, and you mix it up, and something happens. And it's consistent. So conversion... And that's the topic, right? Is the process of converting, changing one thing into another thing? And so like you're like, why am I at church here in a chemistry lesson? In a science lesson? So let's bring it to church. Spiritual conversion. That's what we're going to be talking about today, specifically. Is the same as chemical conversion in that action brings about a reaction, There is an effect and a cause that brings about that effect. Something coming into contact with something else causes something to happen. And guess what? It is observable. It is repeatable. The formula has been tried and true for centuries, and this is constant and conclusive. But, what is the formula of conversion, I also wanted to bring my whiteboard up here, my chalkboard, and write the formula. I had a teacher that used to call them formulars, because we're in the South, right? The formula this morning is this. So we're looking at formulas. Uh, the formula of conversion, specifically spiritual conversion, biblical conversion. So what is the chemistry of true biblical conversion? conversion. And guess where we can find that? I've actually already given it to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. But before we unpack that, before we dig deeper into our text, I want to go ahead and give you that formula. So why do I want to give it to you? So you can test it as we go. You can see with your own eyes this working, this reaction, this action, and this reaction. You can see that it works. And so the results continually Continually and consistently evidence that it works. So here it is. And guess what? I'm giving you the conclusion of the sermon before the beginning. Isn't that weird? Uh, but conclusion. Here's the formula Unbelievers, lost people, let's, let's call them Christless people. Christless. Not Christlers, Christless people. Lost people. Coming into contact... I like to draw arrows. Coming into contact with the true and living God. How are they going to do that? Through the clearly communicated Word. His Gospel. Okay, So when a Christless person comes into contact with the true and living God through the clear communication of His Word, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, here's an arrow, that causes... True conversion. It causes true change. We'll just say a new creation, right? And here's another arrow. It results in in an evidence or it is evidenced by continual commitment to follow Christ. To become Christ-like until Christ returns or calls us home. So that's the formula. That's That's the skeletal formula. Very bare minimum. Let me me give it to you in a statement. And I wanted to run this by some of y'all. I didn't have time since y'all told me 20 minutes ago that I was preaching. (laughs) True biblical conversion, true biblical Christianity takes place only following an unbeliever coming into contact with the true and living Christ through His Word communicated clearly. Okay, I don't see any stones flying, so I think at me, at me, not at y'all. Uh so so I think that that's right. Correct. Biblical. True biblical conversion, true biblical Christianity takes place only following an unbeliever coming into contact with the true and living Christ through his word clearly communicated. Now, I want to build on that. Let's put some meat on the bones. I want to I want to break it down further. And this is this is just adding uh, to what the, the, the foundation here when the gospel of christ is communicated clearly those whom you'll see how it's getting more specific and, and coming in fine finer tuning zooming in when the gospel of christ is communicated clearly those whom God calls effectually that is salvifically Savingly. So that's the same thing. Salvifically, effectually, savingly. So those whom God calls effectually will be supernaturally, hear this, changed. Converted by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit where He removes hearts of stone dead to Christ and changes them converts them to hearts of flesh that are alive in Christ by God's gracious work. Ears that were deaf to God's word are enabled by God's grace to hear the gospel and to understand it not as foolishness, but as the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Eyes that were blinded by sin now see their sin and sinfulness and seek God for who He is in His holiness. And they see that the only way to be saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so they are regenerated. By God's amazing, miraculous grace, the spiritually dead are made alive in and through and because of Christ. And so conversion, spiritual conversion occurs. There is change. What does the sinner do? He repents. We just heard a great message on that. The sinner repents. They turn from their sin and they believe and they turn to the living God in faith and are saved. So, The chains of sin now gone, they've fallen off. The heart now freed. God's children rise forth, go forth, go forth and follow the one that saved them, Jesus. And there will be a continued commitment to follow Christ, to be more and more Christ-like until he returns or calls us home. Now that's the formula, the thick, meaty formula, not just the bony version. Not the simplified version. That's the big organic Christian chemistry conversion. So, 2 Corinthians 5.17, I saw this was preached last night. I missed it. What does it say? We know, therefore, if anyone is in who? In Christ. In Christ. They are a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, new things come. Conversion. That's conversion. That's Christian conversion, biblical conversion. That's the formula, right? That's how it happens. That's how it comes to be. You want another one? I'm going to give you the formula. This is straight from the textbook right here. We're having an open book test. Open it to Romans chapter 8. I have my Band-Aid bookmarker in here, but this is not the Band-Aid. This is the actual bookmark. Here we go, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, formula, formula alert. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified that is the formula for true biblical conversion that is straight out of the book and so with that in your mind with these 2 Corinthians 5:17 Romans 8:28 through 30 now let's fly back over to our text this morning, and you're like, wow, we finally got there, and it only took us 30 minutes to get to the text. 1 first, first Corinthians. 1 first Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Context. Here's the context. This is a correspondence. There's going to be a lot of C words. I, I just like that. I just like quick Quick, we see this is a correspondence to set the context. It's a letter. It's actually an epistle written by Paul, as I've already mentioned. So he is the key author of this. Again, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so he's writing by letter, communicating to who the Thessalonians. Now, let me just go back before I get there and tell you who they are. Paul, it's Paul and Sylvanus, who is also known as Silas. And Timothy. Now these are converts. You're more familiar with Timothy. Now you've heard of Paul and Silas, and you've heard of Timothy, his young son in the faith, converted from Lystra as he's on his missionary journey. And so these converts join. I I believe Sylvanus Silas was a Hellenistic Jew or a Jewish convert, and you have Timothy who had a Greek father and and Christian uh, mother and grandmother, and so he comes to Christ in during uh, Paul's missionary journey, joins him, and so they're together on this, on a mission, on, on their mission, and, and they go into Thessalonica, which is the capital city of Macedonia, huge, uh, pivotal place, key place, key City like Birmingham is to Alabama, or Montgomery, uh, or or Mobile is to Alabama. Just a lot of people, thousands of people. I think there was over two hundred thousand people there, and it was a pretty much pagan place. There was only a few Jews there, and so this group had gone to Macedonia, capital city Thessalonica, and 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 so he's writing back to them. Because a few of them had come to Christ, some Gentile believers and some Jewish believers had come to Christ, and here's the church, that's the first church in Thessalonica. And so he's writing them to the church, church was understood as an assembly, Typically, but notice how he specifies that this is not just a regular, like, pagan assembly or church. This is the church of the Thessalonians that are the Christians from Thessalonica who are in God. They are in God the Father. And we could say, okay, well, the Jews worship God, but he, Paul takes it a step further. We're not talking about a Jewish assembly, these are those who are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are true believers, true Christians, those who have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love breaking down the word Lord Jesus Christ because we need to always remember, especially in a conference where we're talking about lordship, is Lord means master. If God's your master, then who are you? You're the slave. You're the servant. And so these people acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, Master. Jesus, we, we always go back to Christmas, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from what? From their sins. So he is the master, Jesus. God is salvation who saves his people from their sins. But even building on that, it goes on and says he is the Christ. Now I've said this many times before. A lot of people think Christ is Jesus' last name. No, it's his title. Christ means Messiah anointed one of God. So you see how much is packed in three words, this triad of names, Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, Master, Savior, Messiah. That's who I'm talking to, you who believe in Thessalonica, this, that he is Lord, Master, Messiah. You are in Christ. You are in God, in Christ. And then he says, grace And peace. Now this is a typical Pauline greeting, right? If you're familiar with the letters and the epistles of Paul, this is typical of greeting. And so he says, Grace and peace. Well, what is grace? He wishes them grace, the unmerited favor of God. How 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 and then he says, and peace, what is peace? quick summary, peace is not the absence of problems, it's the presence of Christ, and so in all their situations and circumstances he is saying, I hope that God gives you grace the unmerited favor of God, and that you can experience the peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding, and this peace can only happen if you've experienced God's grace, and so they go together, Uh, the unmerited favor of God and the peace that comes from knowing the grace of God and the unmerited favor of God, so he's blessing them, right? Here's a blessing, that's a great I wish this for you, grace. I wish this for you, the peace of God. So that's that's a happy greeting. And then he goes to the thanksgiving. And here's where I get a little bit back in my notes again. He goes to the thanksgiving in verse, verses 2 through 3. He says, we, and that's this ministry team, co-labors in the ministry, Paul, Silas, Silvanus, Timothy. He says, we give thanksgiving. Thanks to God the Father, always, for all of you, constantly, some of your translations may say, without ceasing or ceaselessly. So we thank God for you all the time, mentioning you in our prayers. And so they thank God... For these Christians who came to Christ in Thessalonica as they ministered to them, so Sylvanus and Timothy were uh, pivotal parts in establishing this church in Thessalonica, so they would have known them, and they're all writing back and saying, we thank God for you, and we constantly mention you in our prayers to God, and then we get to verse 3, and here's where we start uh, putting put a lot of meat on right here. Uh, he says, remembering before our God, our God, right? So we are all in God through Christ before our God the Father. And then he says, your work of the faith, for your work of the faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Now, get get back here. Let me, let me get right here. Put this away. Okay, so... This is more understood as your works. They're not working for their faith. They've already come to faith. They're working out their salvation, right, with fear and trembling. That's what we're seeing here. We thank God for you, and we pray for you ceaselessly because of your works done because of your faith in God in Christ. We remember you constantly for your labors, and that's that's their, their striving they're 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 i mean they're putting everything they have into it for your labors because of your love for God in Christ so the for there is is more understood as a because of we pray because of your work being done for the faith we pray because you're laboring because of your love of God in Christ Jesus we pray and remember you ceaselessly for your steadfastness another word for that is perseverance We remember you for your perseverance because of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Master, Savior, Messiah. And so he's showing that unity there. But understand, these are the practical outworkings of true conversion summarized. Did you catch it? You're working for God because you love Christ. Not in order to earn the love of Christ. See, that's what's huge. Do you do what you do in order to earn His favor? Or do you do what you do because you've earned his favor? Big difference. That's a gospel in false religion, right there. That's the difference between works and grace. And so he says that you're working because of your faith in God. You are laboring not in order to win the love of God, you labor because you love God. And so that's the right order. And you persevere regardless of what you endure and face and go through, regardless of your circumstances, because your hope is in future glory, in future grace, in God. And let me just go ahead and say, 2 Thessalonians is, is huge because it, it's, it's loaded with references to the second coming of Christ. Christ is coming back. Christ is coming back. And this is one of the practical outworkings of conversion in that those who are in Christ long for His return. And more on that in a minute. And so that's why He's praying. Why is He praying and remembering them? Because of this, and that's, that's, again, the practical outworkings of true conversion summarized. Now, what are we going to see in verses 4 through 10, the remainder of our text? And let me look at the time. Um, <clears throat> commendations. We could say complimenting. He's complimenting, but I don't want us to, to blur that and say it's all them. No, he's saying it's all God, but he's commending them in Christ. He's encouraging. So let's just call these commendations. He constantly remembers them in prayer. Why? Because, for, or because, he says, we know, brothers and sisters, that you are indeed loved by God. That He has indeed chosen you. So Paul is encouraging them because he's saying we constantly pray for you we know you work because you love god you labor because you love god you're steadfast and persevere because you love god we know that you're loved by god we know that you're chosen by god oh, oh do you see it do you see romans 8 do you hear it you were loved by god Foreknown means to love before time began. Known before, loved before. We know you were foreknown by God, loved by God. And then he says, You were chosen. Ah, oh, that's, you were elected by God before time began. You were predestined before time began. And I'm not going to chase that rabbit and say, Okay, now we're going to look at the election of God and the predestination of God and have a study on that. No, we would be here for 10 weeks. But I'm just going to say, hey, it's there. It's there. And it's all fitting in the formula. Because he says, how do we know that you're loved by God? And how do we know that you're chosen by God, elected, foreknown, and predestined before time? Well, why do we know that? How do we know that? And then he gives it the because. The because. How do we know this? Because. Look at verse 5. Our gospel, now was their gospel different from the true gospel? No. Our gospel that we shared with you, which was the true gospel, the only gospel... The gospel came to you, not only in word, so you didn't simply hear it with your ears generally, like this general call, right, to hear and believe and respond. No, not only in word, but also in power. And let's just go ahead a little further. And in the Holy Spirit. So what is he saying? You didn't hear with your ears. You heard with your heart, Uh, effectually. How did that happen? Again, Christ. God is doing the supernatural work throughout the proclamation of his word. The word that's being taught. It says, and in, in or with full conviction. Now what does that mean? Full conviction. You're convicted of your sin. You're convicted of who Christ is, who you are. And so it leads to repentance, to turning from uh, sin and turning to Christ in faith. And so what do we see in verse 5? And already said it or alluded to it, and the gospel was communicated clearly to them. So this goes back to Romans chapter 8, right? They were called, not just called generally, they were called effectually. How, How did they know they were in Christ? How did they know they were loved by God and chosen by God? Because step one led to step two, right? Your predestined called, therefore you believed and so, this, the, the gospel is clearly communicated. And then, what happens? Two worlds can collide. We can see it. Here's Christ-less man and the Christ, the God-man. And as the Word is being preached... This one collides with this one, the natural and the spiritual, the lost man and the Lord collide and there's this collision and like the formula said, as an unbeliever, he's he's going back to these Thessalonians, as unbelievers, what happened when the gospel was taught and the natural and the spiritual and the Christless and the Christ collided, it says, well, you came into contact with the true and living God and we know that God loves you and you were chosen in God because He regenerated you. you. You were made alive in Christ by the miraculous supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And as the Word was preached, proclaimed, they were convicted of their sin and they repented. They turned from sin and they believed and they turned to Christ. That's how we know you. God loves you because you truly love Him. That's how we know we love because He first loved us and so that gives gets us to uh still in verse 5 still in verse 5 i believe yeah look at the last part it says and you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and go ahead into verse 6 you for you, you became imitators of us and you became imitators of the lord and But You receive the Word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. And so what do we see taking place in what we'll call the second half or verse 5b and into all of verse 6? What we see is that following these things, the Word communicated clearly and they're converted, that they are continually committed to copy or imitate committed Christians, right? Paul was imitating Christ... And so they sought to imitate him because he was a truly committed Christian. And so not only that, it says they wanted to imitate the Lord. Well, Paul was imitating the Lord, the Master right? Their master. And because Paul imitated the master, they wanted to imitate Paul who imitated the master and be like the Lord. So what do we see here that the Thessalonians had? They had a commitment to continually pursue Christ likeness. Now a fancy word for that is sanctification. Holiness. They had a new pursuit. Not the sins and not self. They pursued holiness like Brian said. Simply put, what is repentance? It's Turning from something, turning to something, it's following Christ. And so they wanted to follow Paul who followed Christ and they wanted to follow the Lord. And that's what they did. They pursued sanctification and holiness, which in Hebrew says without, no one will see the Lord. And so there was that change. Getting on to verse 6 again. The latter part of our 6, what do we see? Well, they came to Christ and continually followed Christ regardless of, and let me get there, the second part it says, for or because you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So what do we see here? They came to Christ and continually followed Christ regardless of the cost. They considered it all joy to suffer for the cause of Christ. They persevered in the faith regardless of persecution. And so they weren't converted because it was the cool thing to do. They weren't converted culturally, like we see a lot of cultural Christians today, right? And those that do it just because it's the cool thing. A lot of do it because it may be convenient, because it gets them something right. No, these, did you notice, they they were converted during times of affliction and persecution. Well, why would you do that? Because it's the correct thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And so they came to Christ and continually followed Christ regardless of the cost. And so again, that's Paul's way of saying, this is how we know that you love God and that you've truly been called. Because... Nobody in their right mind, unless they had been changed by Christ Himself, would do these things. You do this because you were truly converted. And then look at verse 7. We're going to try to motor along through these. He says, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So, um, what were they doing here? What do we say they did following conversion? They continually showed Christ to others. By their works, by their deeds. In fact, so much so that they themselves became examples of Christ, so that others would see what they're to do, how they're, who they're to imitate. The Thessalonians who imitated Paul, who was imitating the Lord, and so let's let's follow them. And so they continually showed Christ to others by their works and by their deeds. And when it says in Macedonia and Achaia, these are uh, provinces of the Roman Empire, so it's. The gospel is beginning to spread out. We can see that. And then look at verse 8. For because not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, your, your hometown where you are, in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So they continually shared Christ. They didn't simply show Christ. They shared Christ with others by their words. So their works showed that they had been changed. Their words showed that they had been changed. And then in verse 8, we can see that they continually sought to fulfill the Great Commission. What is that? To share the gospel with others. What was the result of that? We see here it caused what we'll call contagious Christianity. That is, the gospel message was being spread. Because of them. Because of their works. Because of their words. So they were committed, commissioned Christians who were sharing Christ. And and I want to go back. I want to show shameless plugs again. Now we understand that post-conversion, we are to, in obedience to Christ, be what? Baptized. Baptized. It's putting on the jersey, right? It's saying, I... I am going to die to my old self, and and we had baptism a few weeks ago, baptized in Italy. I'm going to be baptized to show, to symbolize, I'm dying to my old ways of life, and I'm raised to walk in newness of life and following Christ. Now, why am I making a point here? Because to our COC, our Church of Christ, friends, they say it's baptism that saves you, and interestingly enough, baptism is not even mentioned here. Now, we would know that they were baptized in obedience to the command of Christ, that they had indeed put on Christ because they came to Christ and were converted, and people knew this and they saw this, but I think it's an interesting point. If it's a baptism that saves you, then why is it not mentioned here? So Paul is not commending them for that. And also to the hyper-Calvinists, to our hyper Calvinist friends, if the gospel is not important, then why is he expressing that we know God loves you and chose you because the gospel got to you? Not only did the gospel get to you, it saved you, and then he turns around and commends them for getting the gospel to the other people. If it's not necessary, then none of that was necessary in his letter. And so it just kind of strikes down two things there and it says, hey... Something's wrong here. My way of thinking's not in the formula. My, my thing that's supposed to save you is not even mentioned here. But the gospel is. Faith is. And that's because we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the only way that you'll be saved by that is through the gospel alone. All right, so that's a little side note. Let's get back in. I see my time. I'm aware. I am aware. Don't be afraid. Verse 9 for because they themselves, all of these people, as Paul and Silas and Timothy are going out and they're ministering to these people, it says, for they themselves, because they themselves, we know that God loves you and has chosen you and you're in Christ because of all these things. And these people that we're encountering uh, along our missionary, second missionary journey, we see that they're reporting, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you what? This is huge. You turned from uh, or you turn to God from idols. Okay, that's the definition of repentance, right? To turn from and to turn to. Why did you turn from your dead idols, your false gods? He says, in order to serve who? The true and the living God, the living and true God. So what do we see in verse 9? They continually evidence true biblical conversion, true biblical change to others. How? Because they continually committed to serve, and guess what that word is? Slave. They slaved for their master. The Lord. So they continued to serve, not self, not sin, but they served. They turned from their self, self and sin, and their dead gods, and they turned to the one true and living God willingly and joyfully, because He was their Lord and their Master, and they were not their own. They understood that I am not my own. I serve a Master. He owns me, and because He owns me, they understood I have been bought with a price. What was that price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to redeem them to purchase them back, to buy them back and to set the prisoners free and so they joyfully followed Christ in his steps be holy for I am holy, follow me in his steps again pursuing Christ likeness Now let me go back to that when I said it wasn't the cool thing to do or the cultural thing to do, it was the costly thing to do. And is that not how Christ calls us? If anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross, be ready to die and follow me. That's true, Christianity, not just because you jumped around and thought it was a cool thing to do. You're ready to die. And and they proved it because they were ready to die. And they were facing persecution and affliction for it. And guess what? They kept on keeping on. Now why would you suffer for a lie? They didn't. And it was proven because they left the lies and came to the truth. And they continued to serve Him. They continually waited for, too, I've already mentioned this, they look for it and they long for it and they look forward to the second coming of the resurrected Christ. So they're acknowledging, Paul's acknowledging, and they're acknowledging even here, hey, this guy that was dead, buried, and crucified, or crucified, dead, buried, and raised, That's who we serve because He was resurrected. He is truly the Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we know this because God the Father accepts His sacrifice. And we can see that because He raised Him from the grave. And so they continually waited for that and looked forward. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back in all things, the consummation of all things. And they were looking forward to that. See, even in the Lord's Supper, what do we do? We remember what He did in order to save us, and we proclaim that He's coming again. He came and He's coming again, and that's what these Thessalonians were doing here. And that's what Paul is saying. We know that you are known by God, and that you love God, and that you are chosen by God, and that you are in Christ, because you look forward to His return. And so verse 10, verse 10, to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, what is Paul doing here at the end? Saving the best for last. He's saying, Jesus is the converter. If you are converted, if you've been changed, if you are in Christ, this is how it happened. It's through Jesus. Jesus is the converter. Jesus is the changer. If you want to go back chemistry, He's the catalyst that gets the party started because you're dead otherwise. And so He's going to stir that heart and quicken that dead soul and you're going to, woo, believe because He changes you. He's the converter who converted us and all believers in Christ. It is He who still continually is calling. He's calling today through the clearly, and I hope it's clearly communicated gospel for you to come to Christ to repent, to turn from your sin, and to believe to turn to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that you too can be saved from the wrath to come, from judgment when He returns on those who don't know Him, and for the rest of hell to for all eternity. You can be saved from that. Jesus alone is the Savior. Jesus alone is the divine Rescuer. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord. He is our Master. So guess what? It is He alone who gets the glory for saving sinners. Otherwise you'd be dead. Be toast. God gets all of the glory for converting sinners to saints miraculously. And so... I'm not speaking in tongues, but I am using Latin. Sola Dea Gloria. To God alone be glory. To God alone be glory. He saved me and He can save you. He can save you. He can rescue you. He can change you. So, uh, with a few minutes left, thank you, Brian, for the 10 minute early to give me 10 minutes more. Does this describe you? If you claim Christ, I mean, if you... Say, I'm a Christian. Does this describe you? Are you imitating the Thessalonians who imitated Paul, who imitated Christ? Are you following Christ like Brian said a few minutes ago? Have you truly been changed? saved if any man be in christ he is a new creation old things pass away new things have come flip the coin brother and sister if new things haven't come old things haven't died and you're still in your sin so where are you where are you am i still the old claiming to be new or am i dead to the old made new in christ does this define you does this describe you? Have you truly been changed? Have you truly been saved? Have you truly been converted? Is your Christianity true biblical Christianity? Because men, again, remember our hyper-Calvinists say the gospel is not necessary. Faith is not necessary. Oh, it is. If you're biblically saved, truthfully saved. Uh, you know, baptism, you must be baptized. Thief on the cross, wasn't it? What's up with that? What's up with that? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. How will they know? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So go, have beautiful feet and tell people. If that's not important, why is it in there? If faith is not necessary, then why are people dying all over the place to get the gospel to these people who would be okay anyway? It's not going to happen. They must hear. How will they know? Unless they hear. How will they be saved? Unless they know and they hear and repent and believe and be saved. So go. Have beautiful feet. And I do have to, you know, I had to throw in a song. You're like, we're so close. and He's not going to mention music. And Catherine's over there. Ha, <laughs> ha, yay. Now, here it is. Stephen Curtis Chapman. He has a song. It's called The Change. And I think I have most of it memorized, but just because I'm getting old. And want to be sure, and I want to use technology, even though mine stinks because it doesn't get text messages to tell you you've got to preach in two minutes. Okay, hang on. Uh, here it is. I'm, th- this song, "The Change That I Just Lost." Thank you. Oh my goodness, help me, Jesus. Here, all right. Well, I got myself a T-shirt that says what I believe. Got letters on my bracelet to serve as my ID. I got the necklace and the keychain, and almost everything a good Christian needs. Yeah, I got the little Bible magnets on my refrigerator door and a welcome mat to bless you as you walk across my floor. I've got a Jesus bumper sticker and the outline of a fish stuck on my car. And even though that stuff's all well and good, I cannot help but ask myself, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing I'm undergoing the change? Now that's sanctification. I'm being sanctified, but what about the life that shows I've already been changed? And therefore, I'm pursuing sanctification in Christ. Well, I got this way of thinking it comes so naturally where I believe the whole world is revolving around me and i got this way of living that I have to die to every single day because if God lives inside of me, if God's Spirit lives inside of me, yeah, i got to live life differently. I'm going to have the change. I'm going to have the difference. I'm going to have the grace. I'm going to have forgiveness. I'm going to have a life that's showing I'm undergoing the change. And so is that your life? Is it showing you're undergoing the change and that you have already been changed, that you've been converted and you are being sanctified? So, is your definition of saving faith and of following Jesus consistent with the formula found in Scripture? I challenge you today, this morning, make your calling and election sure. And guess where I got that? Here. Make your calling an election sure. Test yourself to see if you're indeed in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourself? That Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. That's here. I got that from here. And that's what he's calling us to do. So if you fail the test, that's the challenge. Uh, if you fail the test or if you haven't come to Christ in repentance and faith in the first place, then here's the call. It's not just a charge. Here's the call. Come to Jesus. Or... To simply quote Jesus, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, turn from your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and forsake all, place your trust in Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life and no one will come to the Father except through Him. Gospel in a nutshell, real quick. So if I'm talking all this time about the gospel being presented clearly, I need to present it fairly clearly and fairly quick. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. God demonstrated His own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, He so loved mankind, that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in Him by faith would not perish but have everlasting life. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved, be changed, be converted clearly. God will be faithful to His formula. How do I know that? Because God will be faithful to His Word. It will not return void. Without accomplishing what it has been sent out to do. So today and always may it bring about all the necessary changes in us and in others by His grace and for His glory alone. Amen.